0: Yorkshire Talent in the Arts now has a Facebook page. Be sure to like it to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. We also have a new website, which you can find at yorkshiretalentinthearts.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Yorkshire Talent in the Arts. I am absolutely delighted today to welcome a gentleman that I've known for quite a few years now. He is a man of multiple talents. Uh, how he manages to fit everything in—I have absolutely no idea. Uh, he's a family man, and he does so many. He's an author, he is a musician, he's an actor, he's a martial artist, uh, as well as having a full-time job. Uh, so I take my hat off to him, and I'm delighted to welcome Mr. Alexander Kin. Alex, welcome. Hello, Matt. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, absolutely pleasure to have you here. So, uh, how are you? How's your day been?
1: uh pretty stressful really be honest with you yeah. Right. i've been just vaguely annoyed all day okay um, is that standard part yeah, of the course yeah, pretty standard yeah. i'm just annoyed all the time these days but um but no it's, it's fine i've got no complaints just you know working hard at the day job and um you know doing the whole family thing and yeah it's all good excellent
0: and it's a uh, sort of web design you work in is that is that right
1: yeah i work for a uh, um a digital agency I'm the head of delivery there, so I'm quite senior. Um, I've worked there for I think three years, but right. um, but I've been in the industry for like 20 years in web and digital and things like that. So okay. um, I have worked my way up, you know, from the sort of first first real job in the industry was you know 20 years ago, and then I've yeah. sort of got to where I am now, which is which is good. And it's it's a really good company to work for. I've got no complaints, but it's just. Just so intense all the time, right, okay. you know, and it's, as, as I said, we were, as we were talking before, it's quite hard sometimes to switch off, mm. you know, especially now that they have the hybrid working thing, so I work a lot from home, right? but I do, okay. but I also, I was in, but then I was in London yesterday, I was in Cardiff last week, and I travel about to different offices and see clients and things, but um, the rest of the time, just at home in my house, which is really lovely, um, but yeah, it's difficult to know when work finishes and your life begins sometimes, yeah, of course. so you've got to have a bit of discipline, but... Yeah, it's good. Excellent. Uh,
0: I was trying to wonder, you know, when, when we actually first met in preparation for this, I was thinking, when, when did I actually first meet Alex? My sort of first real memory of sort of being aware of you was when I went to see Glass at Fibbers. Because, mm. of course, my now brother-in-law, Jim... That's right. Um, ...who, obviously, I went because of the connection with him. He was dating my sister at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he was in the band. And I think he'd maybe mentioned you. Um, and I knew that you were very much the leader of that band. Yeah. Um, so that's my first real memory of sort of like seeing you and and being like, oh wow, this is quite a for one of the best words, quite a physical specimen. You've, <laughs> al- you've always looked after yourself, Alex, like, physically, uh, and you were in shape. I do remember that.
1: Yeah. It's funny because it, you know it wasn't always that way, right? right. You know, because um, I'm I'm 48 this year, would you okay. believe it? I'm not happy about it. <laughs> right. To be honest, but <laughs> no, I, but I think I was like 38. Uh, and I never really worked out, i done any exercise at all for my entire life. I just, you know, as you do when you're young, you smoke and drink and yeah, do all of sorts of yeah. naughty things. And uh, I remember waking up one day, I looked down and there was like a, there was somebody's belly was there, mm. right? And I thought, that's not mine. That does not belong to me. And it just shocked me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm out of shape. So I just joined a gym. And, um, you know, I think one thing I've always had is, is quite a lot of sort of self discipline and stuff. And I just, sort of never stopped going and it just became a bit of a hobby and, and I, you know, I've entered, uh, I had a, <laughs> I, did, I did about entering an amateur strongman competition, would right. you believe? Oh,
0: actually, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So sort of, and then injured myself, but never mind. But no, I think it's important, especially as you're getting older, that I think you, you have to be more proactive about it. Like when you're young, you can eat what you want, you can go to bed when you want, you can do whatever, all those kind of things. But I just think that you have a sort of responsibility to yourself and to your loved ones as well mm-hmm. to try and keep yourself in some sort of shape, right? I don't yeah. think, I'm not. So, you know, has to get, like, massively jacked and hench and everything. But I think um just staying active, you know, keeping your heart going, getting a sweat on, you know, once or twice a week, I think is just, it's just good practice, really. Plus, I'm terrified of dying. So, right, that, okay. that helps as well.
0: Yeah, I can imagine mm. it would. Mm. That's interesting. You said that, actually, especially the age you mentioned, 38, because I recently turned 38. Aha. Um And... Almost exactly what you sort of said. You look down, you're like, oh man, that's someone else's belly. Yeah. And I've always prided myself, particularly, as I say, when I was younger, i am always been really sort of skinny. And it's suddenly occurring to me now that I am not.
1: I think this uh, is the thing, you know, you can be a skinny guy or a skinny girl your whole life. Until you hit your late thirties, and then you're not, and then it's like your body <laughs> yeah. wants to go in one direction—that's outwards. Yeah. And especially, you know, when you're a guy, it's hits certain parts, you know, and it's like if you don't actively do something about it, or you can, or you can just accept it and just you know, live with it and yeah, have, have your dad bod and be happy. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that at all. But, but for me personally, it wasn't something that I, I thought was congruent with who I with my self image. Right? Mm-hmm. I, like, I cannot be that. I cannot have the dad bod. I cannot. You know, I, yeah. I'm not willing to let go just yet. So might change next year, you never know. No. Might yeah. just hit the pies.
0: Right, yeah. you know. And that, if you felt like doing that, that would be fine? That would
1: be fine too, cool.
0: yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you remember that, that particular gig, and I'm sure it was one of many for you.
1: <coughs> yeah, I mean, I, we did do some really good... Was it at the Duchess?
0: That particular... No, this one was Fibbers, I believe. Right,
1: yeah. I mean, they all kind of blur into one after yeah, a while. That's... Um but yeah, I mean, we we had when Jim was in the band, we had some really really good lineup, and we did we did some excellent gigs actually. It was a good time for the band because I think that was around about the time where we launched the album.
0: Yes, and, the sound um, of glass. That's right.
1: Yeah, imaginatively titled, and uh, and that was a really sort of hot creative time for I think me and the guys in the band.
0: Um, and, I still listen to that album.
1: I um, I occasionally do listen to it myself, which is probably really gauche. But um, sometimes it comes up on like a, like a shuffle or something, and okay, I'm like, oh, who's yeah. this? Oh, it's me. And it's like, I'm really proud of that. That's really yeah, good. You know, and I, and I can't say that for like everything I've ever created. But I think that album is it's um, again. It was I wrote all the songs in the space of about a week, and I recorded the demos in my home studio, uh, and that was that was it. That was the album. And then I just sort of put a band together and right. sort of. Said, so put your fingers there and hit that, and everything sort of came together after right, that. You yeah.
0: know. Oh, I see. So all the instrumentation was recorded by you uh,
1: on the demos, yeah. On the demos, and then right, we then okay. we recorded the album in the uh, Dan Whiting studio, right? Of course, so some, the white rooms with some proper musicians, and it sounded a lot better. Obviously, um, when they got you know Andy Curry's talents on it and Jim and, and all these other guys, and it was it was really good. So I think it's one of the things where things just sort of come together, and then they're just great, and it's like a snapshot of time. Mm. And um, and yeah, it's just something that I'm very proud of. I mean, I don't know, you know, don't have any sort of there's nothing really that I, that I regret doing in my sort of creative life ever, because everything's like a step in along in a journey, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but there are certain highlights where you go, yeah, that just hit just right. Yeah. You know, bing great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I still think it's a great album, and that's why I like still occasionally listen to it. And is it available? Uh, to listen to like, on any streaming it is in fact uh, uh, right. plug 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 yeah I, was, yeah I
1: was like let's plug it you yeah, know, I'd recommend anybody it. who hasn't listened to it yeah. to seek it out The Sound of Glass Sound of Glass it's on everything it's on Spotify it's on Bandcamp it's on Apple Music you name it it's on it um, and yeah it'll be out there forever right oh, brilliant, you know, that's, yeah. that, and that's that's really quite a cool thing to be able to say yeah definitely yeah. One of my favorite tracks on it. I
0: mean, there's quite a lot of like, but for some reason, "Without" was always the one that stood out for um, me. Oh yeah, that was. I guess it was. That would have
1: been the single, wouldn't it? Right, I yeah, in, yeah. In the olden days when you had singles and stuff, um, but yeah, that was the first song that I wrote for the band. Right. As well, yeah. I'm gonna kind of set my stall out
0: with that. And Driftware's Daughter," I seem to remember, had a fantastic sort of like guitar bit towards the end, mm. uh,
1: which I always enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a few epic bits on on the album, which again, still give me a bit of goosebumps, even though I wrote them, which is kind of weird. And probably, you know, like I said, it's probably a bit self-indulgent, but you know, the thing about glass and about a lot of the things that I've done is, um, I'm most happy with the output when it's something that I genuinely would listen to or read or watch mm. myself, right? right? Um, whenever I'm doing things that I think other people might like, I end up hating them. Mm. Yeah, okay. So yeah, there's yeah. probably a lesson in there for all of us, yeah. wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. Um, and certainly Glass was a band that I would have listened to if I hadn't been in it. Mm. And I think that is probably why I'm so satisfied with that particular bit, you know.
0: I remember the League of Gentlemen saying exactly that, actually. Mm-hmm. That they the only... Wrote stuff that just because it was they wanted to make each other laugh.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it was thing they wanted to watch. It's a pure motive, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's the problem. Like especially when you're younger and you're in bands and things, and you're like, we're going to be famous, and we're going to be rich, and we're going to be this and that, and how do we get an audience? How do we get a record deal? And you know, we've all done it, haven't we? You know Mm, what I mean? You know, when I was younger, I was, you know, having meetings with, like, Parlophone and people like this, and, and, you know, and it was everything we were going to be, we're going to be, you know, come off, and we're all going to end of this life, start of that life, and and then all you do is you just set yourself up for disappointment, and it kind of wears you down, and then people fall away because they get disillusioned, and they're like, oh, we've been at this for a year now, and we're still not famous. It's like, dude, I'm in this for, like, 60 years, not one year, just, you know, it's a journey, and I'm going to learn and enjoy myself and, and have relationships with people and and produce and create things that didn't previously exist. And that's why I'm in it and I think that's why I've managed to last as long as I have mm. in that in any kind of creative like milieu is because you have to love the process as much or more than you love the output. Yeah. And I think that's a really tough pill to swallow especially when you're younger and you see it as a means to an end and it isn't.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, yeah, and that's yeah, I think you bang on there cuz I sort of, I think, particularly when I was younger, that sense of, oh, I've got to hit that master mm-hmm. of, yeah, making it. As soon as I've got older, I'm like, well, no, I don't, actually. I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, You know, there's it actually, it's the sort of thing that's maybe not necessary. Be careful what you wish for, I think, sometimes. And, Definitely. Um, I mean, how
1: many stories can you think of of, like, miserable, famous people? Yeah, well,
0: plenty. Pretty really. much all of them, as far yeah. as yeah. I can work yeah.
1: out, right? Um, 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 and
0: for me, I think what I enjoy most about it with to The Music is just, and, and the reason why I love theatre as well and being involved is, just the people you meet yes, on that journey. Definitely. Like, it's just brilliant.
1: Honestly, you know, when I started hanging out with actors, my <laughs> life changed. Yeah, I felt it did, yeah. What a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, oh, yes. I was like, I have found my people.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I, and honestly, I think, you know, just being around people who can just, Take their clothes off in the middle of a room while still having a keeping eye contact with you, you and having a nice chat is just unbelievable. Yes, and it's like that's just the whole mentality of just, especially at the sort of level that maybe you or I have been doing mm. theatre and acting, is where everybody is literally pulling in the same direction voluntarily, giving up their time and and their talent to produce something, especially theatre that lasts for four, five, ten nights, whatever, Mm. um, and then it's gone. Yeah, and then you forget the lines, and you do something else. But you've done it again. Back to the process. Yeah. You're doing it because you enjoyed every minute in that rehearsal room, yeah. right? And every every most of the time, hopefully. most of the time, <laughs> yeah. every, every hour pacing around your living room trying to remember your lines and yeah. things like that. You know, you have to enjoy that piece. If you just did that and you were miserable for the thrill of being on stage for six hours total, I think you, you wouldn't do it for more than you know, like say a year before you'd be like, you know what? What am I getting out of this? But right. you, like you said, the people is the biggest thing for me because, you know, a lot of people that we know are multidisciplinary, aren't they? You know, and and this guy's an artist, but he's also a writer and she's a fantastic singer and he makes, you know, chairs and she stuffs toys and stuff. And, you know, when you learn people's stories from sitting in rehearsal rooms and waiting to go on and, you know, know, breaking the band practice or whatever... Uh, that's when you really get to know people at a properly at a decent level, right? And yeah. Not something you get necessarily from, from like your work friends and things like that, because it's a different type of mission. You're it's somebody else's mission, whereas like a creative pursuit is your own mission, right? Yeah, and that's that's a big difference, I think.
0: Yeah, and um, if I remember rightly, acting was something that you came to re- relatively later on. Yeah, yeah. So how old would you be when you sort of first delved into the world God. of acting?
1: Well, I think I've been acting for about. It's funny because time goes really fast, doesn't it nowadays? It does. yeah. You know, um, so yeah. probably maybe about seven years, I okay. think maximum. Right. right, I could have to check, but yeah.
0: What inspired that?
1: It was well, it was one of these sort of happy accidents, really. Um, I was doing music for theatre, I still do, right? Yeah. And I was working with um, um, Andy Curry's the, uh, theatre company. Oh yes, uh, Hedgepig. Yeah, that's right, Hedgepig. So we were with Hedgepig at the time. And I'd done a few few productions with them, and um, and there was one where I was doing like live uh, music. I think I was playing the guitar or something like that, and. <clears throat> and then he said, "Oh, that was really good." Yeah. And then we did another one. And he's like, "Well, why do not you like to play it on stage? You know, in the background?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I can do. That's no problem. It's no different to a gig, is it? You know what I mean?" So I was on stage and I was playing the guitar. And then I think before you just gradually. The next time I think I had some lines or something, or I had to walk on and off at a particular time. I was like, "Yeah, I suppose I can do that." It's really saying things, and it? it's just like you know mid-song banter. You know, at gigs, I can do that. And then and then before I knew it, I was auditioning for parts, little parts, and then I was getting bigger parts. And it's like it was a completely organic thing. But I do think that you know the transferable skills of being a front man in a band for decades. You know that's got to have something to do with it, right? Yeah. yeah. I was having this discussion with my dentist the other day because okay. I, I read one of these polls of like people's top ten fears, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I said to them, going to the dentist is number two. Right. Yeah. I can well believe it. Yep. Yeah. And I, said, and I said, but number one is speaking in public. Uh, do you want, yeah, I saw yeah. that recently as yeah. well, actually, that, that, which surprised me. Yeah, and I said to my dentist, you need to step your game up. You need to start <laughs> yeah. wearing, like, yeah. you know, scare masks or something. Yeah. Or, or maybe jump, doing jump. a marathon man or something. Yeah, you know? just jumping out of a cupboard at me when I walk yeah. in the room, because, you know, number two is not number one. It's like a silver medal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a public speaker And it's funny because I have anxiety and phobias about a ton of things, but speaking in public is absolutely not one of them. Mm you know i'm i suppose you're the same right yeah i could give you a microphone tell you to go up on that stage and you just start talking wouldn't you yeah that's,
0: yeah i mean it, i suppose it depends what you're asking me to talk about mm-hmm. but yeah but yes you're right generally speaking public
1: speaking i feel like yeah i'm okay with that yeah. like, i could do it yeah but it's but again a lot of people listening to this would be like oh christ no hmm. i would yeah. rather die yeah, Right. Yeah, yeah. and you know i've spoken to people who're just like i can't i don't even know how you do it i was like well i just walk on the stage and yeah. pick up the microphone start talking so, bollocks yeah, <laughs> yeah and then you know occasionally get paid right and uh and i think um yeah and it's so yeah so i could just to answer your question i mean i came to acting by accident through music and through being a performer in inverted mm, commas right. in general um so it was like i said transferable skills and i just really really love it yeah. you know and, it, and i've done lots of, of cool stuff with lots of cool people like you say, i've met loads of really good friends through it and yeah, yeah it's great yeah um,
0: was was your first play the Rivals? Or
1: had um, you done one before them? I'd done a few before then. That right, was like okay. my first sort of biggish role. Because I feel that was when we first got to know each. I'd say like better. Yes, definitely. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that was a, quite a big cast, wasn't it? And, yeah, it was. And we, it was a long run as well. Yeah, it was. It was, it it was like two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Nice A, some, a, a uh, long play as well. A very long play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially when you've only got a small part. And yeah. some of it's at the beginning, and some of it's at the end. I feel like we could have shaved off at least half an hour. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I think you're right. It was um, that was one of the the more sort of high profile parts. But I think I'd done little bits before then for like off the rock and things like that. Oh yes, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. And like I say, little bits and pieces for Hedgepig as well. Right.
0: Um, of course, yeah, because you were. Of course, we were in um, interviewing the Afterlife together, weren't we? Yes, we were. Yeah, of course. You see, you played one of the, yeah. one of the. Well, I wouldn't say the thugs. They weren't the thugs, but one of the lads. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's good. Way yeah, back. I'd forgotten about that. I'd yeah. forgotten about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Excellent. Well. So we'll go back, I suppose, way back to the beginning. So presumably you've always lived in York, have you? Are you, are you a mm-hmm. York lad? Yes, okay. yes. Born
1: and bred. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to have been raised in, in yeah, Woodthorpe, Right. Actually, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. Well, that's yeah. not that far away from where I am now.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm.
0: But um, So was, was music always like a big love of yours right from
1: the get-go, or did it take, take a while? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I come from a musical family necessarily, right. but my dad was a musician when he was younger, So there was always a guitar in the house somewhere. Mm -hmm. He didn't really play it, but they were around, you know. And I would go and sneakily have a little, little go uh, whenever he he was uh, was out the house. And uh, but then it was so I got my own guitar. I think when I was about ten, my first guitar, and it was one of these like three quarter sized nylon stringed, you know, Spanish acoustic type things. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately strung it with electric guitar strings. (laughs) <laughs> so it was absolutely horrendous imagine the action right? yeah, Or something yeah. like that with steel, yeah. steel Ernie Ball super slinkies oh. <laughs> cut my fingers to bits yeah, um, but... But, then I, but then I sort of lost interest as kids do and I stuck it in the cupboard and then I very distinctly remember watching um, Jimi Hendrix and Monterey with my dad mm. and I watched that concert went straight upstairs got the guitar out the cupboard blew the dust off it and I never put it down wow. since you know what I mean yeah, I play yeah. guitar Amazing. every single day of my life right um, and that was, like I say, when I was thirteen. So, um, yeah, and, and I think it's funny. I've got a strange relationship with music in that I don't really listen to it as much as you'd think. Right. I, I don't. I'm not a big music fan, which sounds like a really weird thing to say for a musician. Um, I, I used to joke when I was in my really busy periods mm. that I would I would make more music than I would listen to, it, right, yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. which makes it sound like a sort of a you know Chinese sweatshop. But but no, I mean I've got very poor taste in music, generally speaking. Very well. I think people call it eclectic, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll but, go with that. Yeah, but it's actually terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I appreciate music. I think because I've always been a musician, I appreciate music in maybe a slightly different way. Maybe you do as well. Mm. To you know, not to be you know condescending, but to a layman, yeah. I, yeah you know, when yeah. I listen to music, I, I'm deconstructing. Yeah, it Yeah, definitely. Head. And you're hearing other things that like, right, right, most people saying, wouldn't hear. You know, I, it, I, and I realized when I, I think it was a secondary school when I could, when I realized that when I listened to a song. I'm listening to every individual instrument. Mm, yeah. You know, maybe I think everybody does the same. He's got like a musical ear or whatever. So I was I would listen to the ride cymbal, I could listen to the, the snare and the hi-hats and then I could listen to the bass and the you know, and I could slice it up vertically. I was like and I was like oh, I wonder if everybody else does that. And um, so yeah, so I mean music as an art form, yes, absolutely. Music as something to consume you know, I don't. I usually sit around in silence, which is a bit sad. Mm. But you know, um, I'll listen to music in the gym and stuff like that. But it's usually the same few albums that I really like over and over again. Yeah,
0: um, I'm actually quite similar. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I probably don't consume as much music as yeah, you know, maybe I sort of feel like I should. Yeah, same here. You? And you're right. I, um, I tend to listen to the same things
1: yeah. because that's what I like. I just like you that. Know, yeah. I don't want to think, you know, not that I'm not, not open to new things. What What I recently bought actually, we show you how, how how behind the times I am is I bought the soundtrack vinyl for Cowboy Bebop. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. And it's just incredible because it's all, like, there's jazz and there's all sorts in there, right? But the musicianship is just phenomenal. Mm, Right. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible. So I I think I'm quite open-minded about music. I'll I'll listen to most things if I like it. I'll listen to it again, but... but yeah, it's um it's not like I've constantly got the radio blaring on at home. It's more just like yeah, peace yeah. and quiet more often than not.
0: yeah
1: I'm similar. I mean I
0: I love the radio on in the car and yeah. that's sometimes quite a useful way for me to music. Like for instance, uh there's a song of Miley Cyrus's called Flowers. Yeah. That's doing the rounds at the moment and I'm like, Oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't actively seek out new music. No. Um and I'm strange. I tend to get obsessed
1: with like a particular song. Yeah, I just, do that. I'm like, and I have to listen to it over oh, and over man. again. I'm glad it's not just me. I, <laughs> I listened to Our Our House by Flur Rider on repeat for about three weeks. Right. I'm a big Flur Rider fan, actually. I think these guys, I think right. you, you got some right bangers. It but, was, uh... do you know, what? I was I felt so thick because it was only fairly recently
0: that I realised. <laughs> It's Florida, because <laughs> yeah. of course that's where he's from. Like, he's oh, very yeah. clever, isn't he? Yeah, he's very clever. It's all different yeah. layers oh, yeah, Flo there. Rider, yeah, it's like, layers. Yeah. yeah, he's a clever guy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, particularly um, at the moment, and I've no idea why, um, but the two songs, and I've, I've known them for a long time as well. But the two songs that I just am listening to constantly, I just think are brilliant. Uh, well, there's three songs actually that I've got on repeat at the moment: "Easy on Me" by Adele. Ooh. And then set fire to the rain by Adele, ah. and then the other one is always the sun by the Stranglers.
1: Oh, I um,
0: that one, yeah. And I can't explain it, no. But it just happens sometimes. Some sometimes it just resonates with you. And it I think does. It's, maybe it's just a particular point in your life or whatever, or you're feeling a particular
1: emotion. That's right. You can't
0: explain it. Yeah. Just, there you go.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I like hooks, right? Mm. I like songs to have hooks. I like things that stick in my head, and that's why I, when I write music, I try and write hooks so that it sticks in other people's heads, right? Because I think that's a great way to kind of make an impression on humanity is to sort of say, right, you're walking around with my melody in your head and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and You don't even know why, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's exactly. on your internal jukebox. And um, and I think that's really powerful. So I think, um, you know, no matter what the genre is, if it's got a hook in it, and that can go for Slipknot or Limp biscuit or, you know, Slayer or whatever, they've yeah. all got hooks in there somewhere and I like it. Yeah. Um, when things don't have hooks, it's Just noise for yeah. me, you know. I need something I can sort of stick to, like you're saying, and repeat and repeat. And yeah, probably quite simplistic, but yeah, that's what works for me.
0: Oh, well, that's great. And we're back yeah. to Float Rider again, so. yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, excellent. I did want to ask you actually about so we'll skip forward a bit to the like fibbers days. So, presumably, growing up being in bands in yeah. York, you'd get to play fibbers more and this sort of thing, but yeah. um, you used to host the Battle of the Bands. I did. So can you remember how, how that came about, how you were asked or approached, were you approached or was it? Yeah.
1: Right? Okay, yeah. No, it was, um, it used to be compared by a guy called Justin Jameson. Do you right. remember Okay, him? no, I didn't know him. Yeah, and he was really he was really funny guy. He was a front man in a band in York called Breathe, who were fantastic. And Justin was like a, a an incredible front man. He was just, but he was really acerbic. You know, he was really f- confrontational, and he would sort of, you know, all this kind of thing. And he hosted Battle of the Bands for quite a long time. Um, and I think he moved abroad, or, or got bored of it, or something. And Tim Hornsby, obviously the owner of Fibers, mm. he he'd seen my bads, AKP, obviously on stage a lot, and he knew that I was quite good on the mic and things. So he approached me and he said, "Do you want to? Do you want this this thing?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, why not?" You know, because it was something to do, and it was quite funny. And I knew the I knew the format, but. um, and it was really good fun, but obviously, when Justin was doing it, he had a very different style, right? So the band would come on, these thirteen-year-old kids playing "Smells Like Teen Spirit," they're on key, and and he would rip them to shreds, and it was really funny. And everybody yeah. kind of knew it was going to happen, and the, the bands knew it was going to happen. It was in good nature, but it would absolutely flare them. Right. Yeah. Um, and as you, you probably remember, I had a bit of a different a different style to it because yeah. I wanted to sort of like support these these new bands and give them some uh you know <laughs> give them something to to you know be proud of and everything but some of them were just so awful <laughs> that I had to resort to deep deep sarcasm right yeah of course um but it was a lot of fun nice Um, I used to have sort of running jokes that I would do every week and and a lot of the time because a lot of the audience was quite young people who A, weren't listening to me or B, didn't care who I was why I was there just get off the stage and let my mate's band come on right so a lot of the jokes were really for the bar staff and I would be looking and the bar staff would be creasing up and everybody else would be looking at me like just nonplussed like who is this dude and why is he talking he's not in a band because um, they used to have these voting slips that they used to get handed when they came in the door and then they would basically put an X in the box and, you know, it's a bit like yeah. sort of Russia and, you know, and then they'd, <laughs> <laughs> then they'd get handed in and then they get counted the, and all this. And and the one of the running jokes was, when you came in, you were given a voting slip, right? Yeah. You remember this one? Yeah, yeah. Um, if yours is blank, turn it over, <laughs> right? And I did that every single <laughs> week to the point where people were mouthing it at me before I said it um and it was just it was just really good it was really good fun um and i've done a few other bits and pieces like that since then but um it was just such an institution yeah you know it was wasn't it like everybody had to enter it but you won it. it. and i did actually win it um i think yeah it must have been before i was comparing because it was 1996 um i won the competition the band i was in called cognac at the time nice and um, it was really good prizes. Mm. You know, we were, we played Reading Festival and oh. we went on a mini tour and we got some recording time. It was it was crazy. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that was really good. So I was a bit of a kind of, of a veteran. So people were like, who the hell are you? Well, I won this once, so right. shut yeah, up. Yeah, sure. um, And it was great dealing with hecklers and stuff like I, that. And I
0: remember you being very good at dealing with hecklers. Oh, actually. That's the one memory I have when I came a few times to to watch. Yeah, yeah.
1: it was just fish in a barrel. There was, just, you know, some, some young lad would be shouting at me. I'd just turn to him and just go... Enjoy puberty like that, and just carry on talking as I was before. Um, but again, it was in a good, it was good nature. I think it was. I don't think I was there to antagonise anybody. But you know, honestly, some of the some of the worst audience members were the older people. Yeah, I can well believe that. Actually, like the yeah. the, the, the girlfriends and the middle aged women. Where's my lad? My lad should be with this. It's fixed. It's fixed. Mm. Um, but I can tell you, as somebody who was behind the scenes every single night. It definitely was never fixed. Right, okay. It was always genuinely what the votes were. Right. Um, and I will go to my grave with that as a, as a, as a truism, right? Because uh, apart from anything else, you know, it's, it, if people enter into what they think is a democratic process, you have to run it that way. Yeah, of And then the result is the result, right? Yeah. So, um, plus most of the bands were equally terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure.
1: So who would I fix it for? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny because it's not something I sort of hear about at all now, really, about other bands.
1: Well, they've just done one of the Full for Arms. Oh, have they? Yes, I they mean, have. Um, nice. Because obviously, Chris Tuke, um, who yes. who runs Full Fetter Arms, I used to be. Well, I think I might still be in a band with him called Berlin Black. Oh, okay. Oh, is,
0: yeah. Is that is that sort of on hiatus at the moment? I
1: don't know what you call it when you haven't rehearsed for five years, right? <laughs> um, but we, <laughs> am, you know, so. Um, but sorry, yes, so so yeah, they run a battle of the bands, and he actually asked me to compare it. Um, but then he forgot to remind me and somebody else hired a different compare, <laughs> um, So I didn't end up doing it. So maybe next time I will, because it would be good to get back on stage again and uh, dust off some of the dad jokes yeah. for a new and generation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's good, actually, that they're sort of re- reviving it again, because even though there's always been that part of me that's like, oh, maybe it's not a competition, et mm-hmm. cetera. Actually, you know what, it's just a nice way yeah, for maybe young young lads to just get it get some gig experience.
1: It is. And I always thought of it as that. Which is why I got a bit disappointed when like established bands would enter it. Right, yeah. And it's like, Yeah, come on guys, I mean you're doing all right. You know, yeah. there's let these there's a lot of uni bands used to come through. Right. Um, like you say, new bands, the first, second gig, they were you know crapping themselves with their mm. Zoom five O fives they are running off batteries and, you know, cheaper one pound leads from Bulmers that always always broke in the middle of <laughs> yeah, the, of of the set yeah. um, you know I was always running on stage and holding things together for them and propping the drum kit up and keeping them going you know because they were learning as they were going um, but yeah so I, I, he's a good I never, never really thought of it as a it's called of battle of the bands show but it wasn't really about a competition about you know who's the most popular or who's the best band it was more a case of. Come in and see some bands you've never seen before for mm. three quid or something, yeah. um, and everybody wins, right? You might like one of them, you might hate two of them, but what have you lost? Right, yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's quite funny, I just I walked past the what was the last Fibbers on Toft Green of on course. the way here tonight. Yeah, yes, you will have done. Which is, of course, now derelict. Yes, and somebody is spray painting on the front door, R.I.P. Fibbers. <laughs> I was like, yeah, bro.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it is sad actually that yeah it's just a derelict building
1: because yeah you've got to do with some, some more music venues again yeah, yeah and I think this is obviously from you know the lockdown and not a lot of venues survived really mm-hmm. but I mean we're lucky we've still got the Fulford Arms we've got the Crescent Yes, I think Bay Horse we've got yeah. um, Winning Post there are still some venues where you can put a gig on yeah. at various different sizes which is good but it's nowhere like it used to be back in my day yeah. when I were a lad yeah yeah um, so let's discuss martial arts, Alex,
0: because Ooh. I'll say, again, when I first met you, I remember Jim always used to say to me that you could kill somebody with one punch. Yeah. Um, so he's, Two maximum. So it's, a, <laughs> so it's obviously something you've done for a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, when, when did you first get into martial
1: arts? Gosh, right. Well, I've been, I've been training Wing Chun Kung Fu for 26 years now. Right. right. Okay. So I've been an instructor for a fair, fair while time. Yeah. I've been an instructor now for 20 years. I've been a Black Sash for 20 years now. Um, and it's just a really big part of my life. Like it's not something that I think about every single day, but I train every week. I do private lessons and one-on-one with, with my own students and things like that. Um, and it's something you sort of carry about with you. Yeah. Um, it's a very simple martial art, if you're not sure, you've already not, not heard of it, it's not a terribly popular one, but it's, it's very much, it's, it's, they call it a thinking man's martial art or thinking person's martial art, right? It's not about how fit you are, how strong you are. It's about can you train simple movements to a point where they're automatic? Right. And it's all based on physics and biomechanics, and it's all, like, very logical, right? Okay. It's not very, kind of, mystical and, like, it's, it is traditional Chinese martial art, but it's been pared down to just the bits that just work. Mm. So you're not doing sort of really big flowery catters or anything like that. It's literally, here's a very small move set, learn how to do them really, really well, and hopefully one day it'll save your life, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah. it's good for like things like self-defense, it's suitable for older people and for, for girls, women, everything like that. Um, so it's, it's a good bunch... And again, going back to what we said about the people, mm. the people who tend to come and train Wing Chun aren't your standard kind of meathead boxer MMA types. They're more sort of pensive, thoughtful people who just want to handle themselves a little bit better and sort of increase their confidence, right? right? okay, nice. Um, and that's certainly one of the things that training martial arts has got me, which is that kind of confidence where, you know, before I started training, I would walk around with my shoulders hunched my head down and, you know, cross the road to avoid people and stuff. And then I realised after a couple of years of training that I was walking on the same side of the street as the big lads walking towards me, and my head was up. And I was exuding a different type of vibe, right? Oh, and instantly, you know, people just stopped messing with me. And it's like not because I'm, like, threatening them or anything, just because I think the, the people who like to pick on weaker people, they can spot them, hmm. and they spot the mentality, and that's why they go for them, because they're obviously cowards, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think if you exude anything like a bit of confidence or a bit of something about you, they will uh, subconsciously, you know, they're defeated by that, right? Yeah, yeah. So before you even throw a punch or anything, you just you're just like this kind of just don't mess with me kind of attitude. And yeah. I think that comes from that self confidence that martial arts brings. So I mean, I, I would advise anybody to go and train any martial art just for the benefits it gets you as a person, really. You know, to help yeah. you grow and things like that. And and having a bit of a mastery of your own body and, and knowing its limitations is really valuable, I think. Um, but no, it's it's a really big part of, of who I am. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And yeah, I mean yeah, so you've
1: been doing it for twenty six
0: years. Twenty six uh, years. What it's again, what sort of inspired that? Or was it just a one day where you're like Bruce oh, Lee. doing this? Right, <laughs> of course, obviously. Same as yeah, everybody yeah, else. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah.
1: Big Bruce Lee fan and he started off uh learning Wing Chun. Right, okay. Before he went off and did Do and his own stuff. So it was his basis martial art. Um and I I train it's it's reasonably convoluted, but Bruce Lee's Wing Chun master, his son, follow me, mm-hmm taught the guy who teaches me. Right, okay. So, yeah, it's a little bit, but that's my lineage, yeah, right? Yeah, okay? we'll, so, we'll, yeah, we'll stick so with it, yeah. Yip Man, Yip Chun, Colin Ward, Tony Robbins, me. Right. Right, so it's like a Kevin Bacon thing. Isn't yeah, the it's, yeah exactly, yeah. So oh, fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm proud to be part of that, and I'm proud to, to teach it, and I'm proud to pass the knowledge on because I do enjoy teaching, right, yeah. you know, and, and imparting that knowledge and helping people to understand and improve and get something out of it, so... Yeah, it's good. And is that uh, still at Guppies? Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah no, Which is another institution. Yeah, yeah
0: very much is. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, fantastic. Okay.
0: And of course, you're an author now as well. Yeah. So, um, well, we we'll, we'll, might as well discuss that for a little bit. Then. So that's fascinating as well. Like when, uh, is that and again another thing you we know, like? You know what, I've Fats fancy giving this a go. Let's just let's
1: just do it. Yeah. Again, quite organic, really, Um, and you know, I I wasn't always like a writer. Writer, Um, and I I distinctly remember writing a few, a couple of really, really crap short stories um, in the earlier days of the internet. I had a website, I put them on that. (laughs) Luckily, they've been deleted a long time ago. But, but I mean, it wasn't like I've always written stories and blah blah blah. No, not at all. It was, you know, again, there's something else that's happened in the past probably 10 years maximum. Okay, yeah. um, and I can't remember really what the first thing I wrote actually was, but I do remember that always wanting to be able to write and always being quite good with with language and, yeah. and writing, writing lyrics and things like that and, yeah, and all sure. that kind of stuff. Um, so again, it seems like an extension of something I was already doing, just doing more of it, right? Mm. And there's a, a thing called NaNoWriMo. Oh, yes, yeah, the um, National Writing Month. That's thing. it, yeah, yeah National yeah. Novel Writing Month. And it's every November... And in twenty fourteen I thought, right, Al, if you want to write something, this is how you do it. Right. So every so you basically you have to write, I think it was it fifty thousand words in a in a month. Right. Yeah. And the idea is that you get your first draft of your novel completed in that month. Um just has to be the first draft, doesn't have to be a finished book, but you have to get from end to end. And uh and of course at the time I was working full time and I just had Marlowe, he mm-hmm. was like three at the time or something, so I had a little kid. And um and I, so I thought again self-discipline I thought I'm doing this I don't care if it turns out absolute rubbish I'm going to finish it mm. so I woke up at like 6 o'clock every morning I would write 1500 words a day right and mm. I wouldn't mm. leave the laptop till I'd written 1500 words oh, whether nice. they were good bad or whatever anyway this story just came out and, I, and again going back to my previous point it was a story I was really into mm. and, it, and it contained all the things I love like film noir and westerns and Mad Max and oh, yeah. the internet and identity and i was having a cracking time making it up as i went along just (laughs) driveling away and it was and i thought oh i would i would love to have watched that film or read that book but now i can because i wrote it right and that turned into my after a a couple of years of editing that was my first book uh, which was called it looks like you're writing a letter Mm -hmm. yes indeed um and um and just the very fact of completing something was pretty astonishing really but um but again, it's like the classic kind of second album syndrome then, right? Because right? yeah. then you've got to do it again. Yeah. So I think it was 2018 or something, maybe 2020, I did NaNoWriMo again, right? But this time, um, again, I fell into that trap of rather than writing what I wanted to write, I thought, well, I'll write something that would be more popular. Because uh, right? okay. the first book was really well received. It sold quite a few hundred copies nice. and self-published it, right? Yep. Um, but it was everyone seemed to really enjoy it. Got some good reviews and all this kind of thing. Um, I thought, oh, I'll write another book and this one's going to be even better and even more popular and everyone's going to love it. And, you know. and so I started writing it and, and I finished it and I drafted it and I got through 13 drafts of this book um, and then I chucked it in the bin <laughs> right. because it was rubbish. Right. It just wasn't very good, right? And, uh, and I was like, huh, okay, that's a bit of a blow, right? So your ego takes a hit there. But ultimately, you know, again, process. I enjoyed mm. writing it. I enjoyed crafting it and all the rest of it. But it wasn't going to see the light of day. So, certainly for a while, wrote quite a few short stories. Got some short stories published as well, which was quite nice. Mm-hmm. And did a few like readings and things, like a reading in Waterstones in town of one of my short stories that got published in like a an anthology thing. Oh, that, that was really nice. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and um, and then yeah, it was. I think it was a uh, year before last, perhaps. I did NaNoWriMo again for the third time because I never learn. And um, but I went back to writing what I wanted to write. So I wrote a pure cyberpunk detective story with talking weasels in it. <laughs> nice. It was a detective, and it had um, a tulper—a a guy didn't exist. It had a, a talking bear, uh, which was like a Russian mafia hitman's bodyguard mm. with a nuclear bo- warhead in its brain. You know, all this kind of stuff. We just think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if? I just wrote it all, wrote it all into this kind of book, and um, and that one I was quite pleased with. And that was that. Um, I self-published that on Amazon, actually. Right. I was in KDP. Um, and it's called She Only Boots for Me. Um, and that came out last year, I think. Um, so, yeah, I go through cycles of, oh, I need to write an album. Oh, I need to write a book. I right. okay. need to paint a picture. Ooh, I need to do this, that, and the other. Um, and it's quite good because it keeps things fresh, right? And if I have an idea, what I always think is, oh, here's an idea. What is the best medium for that idea? Okay, that's yeah.
0: interesting. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, definitely
1: right. So if I have an idea about, you know, what's currently obsessing me, oh, it's yeah. um, Royal Observer called Cold War bunkers, hmm. yeah. right? Yeah, that seems like a song to me. I can get an, an emotion out of that. I can get a vibe from that. So I'll write a song about it, and then that becomes an EP, and then that becomes an album, and then it, you know, it's got, and then it's a concept yeah, yeah, album, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. And a lot of the stuff I do is really kind of exercising things that bothered me when I was a kid as well, mm, right? So okay, be it you know, the threat of nuclear annihilation yeah. or rabies or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah, it will yeah, become yeah. something, okay, right? Yeah. And I think that's quite a good way, if you're lucky enough to be able to work in different media, mm. you can take your pick, right? And yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, it's a good way of looking at it Yeah, I
0: think that's excellent, actually. Yeah, that's really great.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're so on, go.
0: it's always, always got something on the go. Like, do you feel like that's... Quite a little bit. you always need to be doing something yeah. creatively.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. And and like I think a lot of creative people that you, you and I both know, I think it's it's quite easy to sort of beat yourself up a little bit yeah. if you don't feel I'm like definitely. you're doing enough, yeah. right? And I always That's feel yeah. constantly guilty about not doing enough things, yeah. you know. Um but you know, you, you said at the beginning, you know, like, how how do I fit it all in? Well, fact of the matter is, Matt, like I am so much less busy now than i used to be right Right. i used to be in three bands at a time i used Mm. to be this that and the other and and i think just sort of get growing up a little bit getting older having a more demanding job having a family obviously um you do have to kind of pick and choose what you're going to focus your attention on but Mm. um but yeah it's it's it is quite difficult because you always want to do more than you can do and sometimes it's the right thing not to do anything which yeah. is a bit that I struggle with, yeah. is not doing anything. What you're doing tonight, I must do something tonight, watch that, yeah, I work yeah, on this, yeah. shall I work on that. How about you just sit and watch TV <laughs> yeah. like a normal person, right? Yeah. Play God of War, just yeah, chill exactly. out, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but it's always chilling out is the last thing I ever do, right? right? Um, but I think that's how I just produce things because I can't sit down, I can't sit still. Right. Um, but, you know, I think I used to go through these sort of like cycles, right? Um, sort of deliberately, where I would mm. go through a massively creative phase, and I would burn myself out, and then I would go into a, a consciously like uh, self maintenance phase where I would eat properly, sleep well, yeah, do right, yoga, yeah. meditate, or whatever, um, and just look after myself. And then I'd go back up the hill again, <laughs> right, back yeah. to the you know the creative burnout, and then I would yeah. come back down. I'm not sure that's the help, most healthy way of doing it. I think there's probably a balance you can have every day mm. where it's okay to scroll through Reddit for half an hour. But it would be great if you also finished that song, right? Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, But if you don't, it's not a problem. Yeah. You know, there's no time limit. But, you know, talking about time limits, you know, I think the thing that's driven me, which is a bit morbid, since I was a a young guy, is this kind of sense of time being limited. Right, yeah. You know, and time ticking away and you only get this day once. Mm. You know, what can you say you did with it? Like, I don't know where this has come from. Like, it's not like my parents, when I was a kid, cracking a whip saying, be productive, like Mm. not at all. But, yeah, certainly it's something I've carried with me all the way through is, you know, you can't waste time, right? Mm. But what, what does that mean, to waste time? Like, time passes whether you're doing something or not, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, point. yeah, quite interesting. Yeah. Gets things done, but it's probably not the best, you know, relaxing way of living your life.
0: And it's, I feel like it's related as well to sort of the topic I was wanting to finish on, which is related to sort of mental health, because one thing I've... Discovered, even just doing a few of these these interviews is the common link I find with people who are creative is that it's a way of basically keeping the, the black dog at bay and depression and that sort of thing. Do you feel yeah. like is that is relevant for you as well? It, it
1: definitely is, yeah. I mean, I've struggled my whole life with um, anxiety and depression right. in various combinations, right? Um, terribly, in fact, you know, and uh, it's I've been on... I've been taking antidepressants now um, for a, a year in January, right? right? Okay. So not very long, really, in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. Um, but it got to a point where I, I had to do something, right? I tried everything else, you know. Right. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, they've been life-changing, right? Definitely. I, I was resistant to uh, pharmaceutical you know, solutions to the problem for my entire life. I was really paranoid about it. I heard lots of horror stories about people not being able to come off them and all this kind of thing. But I had literally no other options left. So I said to them, just give me the, give me the tablets, right? Um, and it was the best thing I've ever done. And I wish I did it like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Honestly, it is absolutely, and it's not like a day and night. It's not turning me into a different person, but yeah, just my ability to cope, my resilience, just shot through the roof where things before that would have made me sort of spiral just wore off a duck's back and i just mm. go Ugh, never mind do something else right and right. that i think is really freeing because it, it yeah. takes a lot of the risk out of you know take you know doing something creative and it potentially failing and well if it fails i'll be really down and that'll really you know mm. be, like, it really pissed me off And uh, i think i'm going to take more sort of creative risks now um but i think you're absolutely right i mean I, you, all the people I know who are creative, I would expect probably to a to a person have some level of mental health challenge, mm. right? I yeah. don't, and I think you can't separate the two things. I think it, I always think of it as like a trade off. It's like a deal with the devil, right? You want an imaginative, active brain that is constantly going and producing and making things up. Well, it's going to make up some bad stuff as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's going to make up some anxiety. It's going to make up some stories about yourself that you don't like and that probably aren't true you know it's you can't turn this thing off once it's going Mm. right yeah uh and it's a trade-off that i've often thought about like would i have it any other way you know would i trade the anxiety and the depression for you know being creative and being able to come up with ideas that other people you know doesn't occur to them that that's a thing and it's like no i wouldn't change it man i keep it the same way and you know you don't get a choice anywhere how your brain chemistry is is built but but no i think it is a trade-off um it's not obviously a universal truth, but certainly it's a lot more common, like you're saying, creative people to, yeah. to, to struggle with this kind of stuff. And, and, yeah, and I think it is helpful to be able to create and, like you said, to be around other creative people and focus your mind on something, producing something new, right, that didn't previously exist when you woke up that morning, mm-hmm. right? That's what really blows my skirt up, Right. Yeah, yeah. you know. It's the fact that I can go to bed saying... That short story didn't exist this morning, and now it does. Yeah, you know those characters that weren't even a thing till I invented them. You know that that chord progression's been played a hundred million times, but not that way. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Yeah, that's you know,
1: and um, and I think that's what keeps me and, and a lot of other people going, really. Um, Long may it continue, yeah. I think it's a lovely way to look at it, and yeah, just
0: like, you're right, you're like you're creating something, and yeah. that is good. And yeah, trying to get past that actually doesn't matter if it's not perfect or it's not amazing. No, You've no done something, no, no, and either. someone at some
1: point might discover it and think, Oh, I really like that. Uh, it's, it's funny you should say that, right? So, back to book, just briefly. Yeah. There's, uh, I didn't know this, but there's a legal requirement for every book that's been that gets published to go into the British Library. Right. Okay. If you know this? I did not know. It's, that. A, it's oh. a law that was passed in like 1851 or something. That everything that gets published in the UK, be it a pamphlet, a book, novel, whatever, there has to be one copy of it in the British Library. I don't right. know what happens if you don't do this. Whether you get put in prison or <laughs> what else. I did, but I didn't want to find out. Right. So yeah. I sent it off. So I, there's a, there's an agency, and you send them like six copies of your book and they put one in, there's a big library in Scotland, one in Cardiff, one in London and there's like five or six, of the un, you know, sort of big university libraries that are kind of the, the nation's, like archive, if you like, of, of creativity in the country yeah. and my books are in those libraries and they will be there forever. And that is pretty amazing. Yeah. Long it? after I die, somebody yeah. could walk into there, pull a copy of one of my books off the shelf, blow the dust off it and read it. And, like, that is incredible, right? Yeah. And it's the same. Every song you ever write, anything that, that exists in reality that didn't exist before is it's kind of your legacy, you know, in a way. You know, you, you know it sounds a bit, a bit trite considering I've actually got a child who is technically my legacy, but he's his person, right? Mm, yeah. you, know, as not, you know, but the things that, that I create or we create, um, they live on after us, yeah. right? And I think that is just so powerful, you know, and so incredibly good. And I think that that's what my second book is about actually. It's about what you leave behind yeah. and 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 history's retelling of who you were and who you weren't and what that means for reality. Mm. You know, because um you know we're not here very long, are we Matt really? Not in geographical terms anyway. Correct. Yeah. But you know, we'll soon be fossil fuels in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Um but no, I think that's that's, you know, not to put fine upon it, that's kind of why I do what I do. And I think it's why a lot of people creative people uh, do what they do, because you want to leave something behind after you that, that is of you, but isn't you. Right. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I think that is a lovely way to end it. <laughs> it's, no, it's, no, it's perfect. I think that's really, the, the sense of legacy, creating things being left yeah. behind. I think, yeah, it's great. And let's say, even if only one person sort of discovers something and it inspires them or moves them well, then that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's lovely, and Alex, as ever, lovely to see you. Uh, thanks so much for coming in and chatting to me. It's been
1: an absolute pleasure. Same here. Thank uh, you very much, dude. It's been it's been good to, to sit in this sweaty box with you. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yeah, it has yeah, it has been quite sweaty time. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, it's yeah. been
1: it, been not all my pleasure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you, buddy.